Hello and welcome to Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors. My guest today needs little introduction. Graham Gooch, OBE, who captained the England cricket team between 1988 and 1992 and famously hit 333 runs in a single innings at Lords, also holds the record for the most runs for England. Graham was awarded the OBE in 1991 for services to cricket. So Graham, let's get straight into it. So can you give me some examples um, of how you have done the opposite or changed the game or been disruptive in your life or your career? Well, I think let, let's start from the beginning is that uh, just to set the scene from when I started, I, um, I went to school in Leightonstone. Um, my father, Alf, was a local club cricketer, played for a side called East Ham Corinthians. We played out at Barkingside Fairlock, and I used to go with my mum and sister every Sunday during the summer from whenever I could remember, from when I was born, really. So that was my introduction to the game. I didn't know any different. Uh, played football as well. He took me to West Ham. That's why I'm a West Ham supporter, uh, not a late Norwich supporter. And uh, I and he was a very keen sportsman. So I was sort of indoctrinated into cricket and football from a very young age. My school life went okay, um, but uh, when I got to 15, I wanted to play cricket. I made my debut for Essex then as a second team player when I was 15 years of age and uh, actually batted number 11 and kept wicket at Northampton, if I remember correctly. But my dad didn't want me to sign professional. He wanted me to do an engineering apprenticeship. So I did that for four years. I qualified as a, a, a tool maker uh, with injection molds and press tools. And the day I qualified and got my indentures is the day I signed professional for Essex. Wow, wow. So I didn't really do much tool making, but um, it was a good introduction, actually, because working for living in a normal sense was a good grounding for me before becoming a professional sportsman. You never know how professional sport's going to go, whether you're going to be a success, whether you'll have the mentality for it, whether you'll have the desire for it to keep evolving and improving yourself. So um, to get that uh, sort of qualification behind me taught me how to work with things in life, how to work things out, and, and probably more, most importantly, to provide me with, with the thought that, you know, I'm very lucky to be playing sport for a living. I mean, playing professional sport it is not a job it's a dream so um i was lucky with that grounding how do you change things well i i think my journey jeff is is about gradual change to start with and um realizing that you need along your journey to improve yourself so i was i had a good season in my second season 1975 and i was selected for england when um, England had got a bit of a kick in in Australia at the hands of the great Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson in 1974-5. I started the 75 season well and, and ended up um, playing for England at Edgbaston in my first test, which um, didn't go great for me. I got a pair in cricketing terms, which means two noughts. <laughs> I do say it's quite convenient to have your first test score in your surname. Um <laughs> And uh, things didn't really go well for me then. Um, after that, I played a couple of one-day internationals in 1976. 
But the big game changer for me came in the year 78. So probably five years after I initially started playing some games for Essex, we had a Scotsman in our side called Brian Hardy. Brian didn't have a great season in 77, nor did I. So we swapped places in the side. I started opening the batting and um, uh, he batted in the middle order. Now, this is the big game changer because once I started opening the batting, I soon realised for myself, and I would describe myself in my early years as a talented sportsman with an eye for a ball and um, good hand-eye coordination. And I had the sort of skills but I had very little structure to my profession. There was no organised fitness training in those days. Players just basically concentrated on their practice in the nets and that sort of stuff, their fielding practice, and there was very little physical training. I played football in the winter for a side called uh, Mayfield in Good Mays, where I'd gone to college doing my apprenticeship, and that's how I kept fit. But when I started opening the batting in 1978, I realised I had to be fitter, stronger, more alert. So I started my regime, which is well known throughout my career of running, and doing some, some weights and stuff like that. And that was one of the big things that changed my game, my realisation that I needed to be fitter, stronger, and a better athlete, which would impact on my skills and the way I thought about myself. That was the start of my, I would say not revolution, but my realisation, as I said, that I need to control i need to drive forward how i'm going to make changes throughout my career that was the starting point it was no nowhere near the finishing point and i was nowhere near the finished article managed to get back into the england side in that year 1978 and played i think four test matches for my five test matches i think i did okay and was selected for the um England tour to Australia in 1978-9. So that was the first part of my realisation that I needed to change my ways. Because in those days, Essex didn't have a coach either. You basically had the team and you had the captain, who was Keith Fletcher. You learnt off your contemporaries. You learnt off the senior players. You asked questions and that's how you improved yourself. So, Graham, let me, let, me, let me just ask you a quick question then. So there's two questions I've got for you, really. One is that um, you know, when you first were selected for England, just try and, try and explain how that felt. I mean, was it something you was expecting to happen? Was it something you was told was going to happen? How do you feel? When you, when you look at some of the players today being called up, like Sam Cook for the, for the British Lions, um, and, and you look, look at some of the players that have actually gone, going out to, off to the ashes from, from Essex this year, I mean, how does it feel for a player to get that call up? Well, I mean, I, I, I'd only played a season and a half of, of first-class cricket. I had a reasonable start in 74, played half a season because Keith Fletcher was in the test matches, and then I started the 75 season well. So I was in the right place at the right time because England, as I said, got a bit of a pasting from Australia, that winter tour, and they were looking for some young players. And the interesting thing, Jeff, was I came into the England side um, and was selected. I heard about it during a, a Sunday league match at Luton. The way you used to hear about selection in those days was on the radio. No one phoned you up and told you anything. You heard it on the radio. And I was playing a Sunday league game against Northampton 
at Luton, although Luton's in Bedfordshire, I'm sure you can agree, <laughs> but they were playing at Luton. And that's how you found out. And I, and I think looking back on it, the ironical thing was, um, as a kid, I used to play the cricket game called How's That? It was two little rollers with, with like not out LBW and a number of runs on the other roller. And you used to put all the England cricketers' day, names down in the scorebook and you used to play this game and roll the numbers against each player, okay? When I played that first test at Edgbaston in 1975, I was playing with all the players that I used to put in the scorebook, <laughs> okay? As a kid, seven or eight, ten years earlier, uh, some of them were still playing. I can name them. Um, Keith Flesher for one, Dennis Amish, Tony Gregg, Alan Knott. All these guys were the names I used to put down in this game when I was a wow. teenager and playing this little game of cricket, like board game. So I felt a bit of a fish out of water, to be honest, when I when I started. I knew I was the new boy and I was a bit of the outsider. And I, I wouldn't say they didn't welcome me in, but it was not quite the same tight-knit group that you would get now when you when you, you know, first played for your country. All right, Grant, thanks for that. So the second question is... You know, I've read a bit about you and you've obviously just validated it with what you said about fitness and and it wasn't a normal part of the game and yet it, it appears that you started to realise the importance of fitness. Did people then follow, because there's a lot written about you of how you were very, very focused on your fitness during your England career. Do you think that that's what was the start of the importance of fitness in cricket? Yes, in in a way, not not that I was a trailblazer. There was other guys who, you know, obviously worked at their fitness, but there was a lot that didn't work very hard. That their their attitude was the we we play cricket and practice cricket to get fit. That's how we get fit. I mean, it's a simple equation. Okay, I was a batsman. Okay, now I'll say to you, how is a batsman like a an Olympic skier, downhill skier? How is a batsman like a Formula One racing driver? There's one thing which is very similar, okay? One mistake, and it's the end of your day. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, if you're a golfer, you get to play another shot. If you're a tennis player, you hit the ball out or into the net, you get to play another shot. If you're a bowler, you get to bowl another ball, etc. As a batsman, if you make a mistake and you get rolled over, you nick one, you get bowled or whatever, you, you, you lose concentration – and um, that's the end of your day. And what you do is you trudge off, you take your kit off, you sit in the dressing room, you go outside, and you end up watching someone else bat. Mm. And I learned over a long period of time that I didn't want to watch anyone else bat. I wanted to do the job myself. Being fitter and stronger helps your – well, put it like this, you don't fatigue so quickly, mm. okay? And if you don't fatigue so quickly, you can hold your concentration because as a batsman and a, and a run maker, you have to concentrate fully most of the time you're facing up to the ball. So what I mean was that by that is full-on concentration, deal with the ball, step out, step back in for six balls. At the end of the over, maybe turn it down, your concentration. You, you don't concentrate as fully when you're not you know, on strike. Of course, yeah. And I learned that. I learned much later, you know, there's four major things to be successful, not only in, in my chosen sport, but generally, you know, it relates to life as well. Attitude, number one, attitude is everything. That controls everything, your attitude, whether you want to get up and work at your fitness earlier, whether you want to go the extra mile, put in the extra work, whatever. 
Second one is technical ability. Now, in any walk of life, in any job, as a sportsman or outside, technical ability is different. There is different levels of technical ability. But you can continually improve them by working at your game, learning off other people, okay, and, and so on. You, you can, you know, the player you start off as is not the player you finish yeah, as of course. because you, you've worked at improving your skills. Okay, the third, the third one is knowledge. So what I mean by knowledge, you could say experience. You glean experience. You talk to other people in your team. You watch other people you play against. You talk to people in your profession and you pick up knowledge. And as a young player in those days, in those mid-70s, you know, I used to listen to all the senior players. Didn't say much. We used to socialise with players after the, after the games, the day's play. And you pick up tips and you pick up knowledge and, and, and you bring them into your world as a cricketer. Okay. And the last one I've already mentioned, and the most important one for a batsman and, uh, and someone if you wish to score runs, is to go back to the concentration mm. because of that one mistake. You have to be able to concentrate. Concentration is not a byproduct, it's a skill, and you have to work at it. So, the ability to shut everything else out in your world, the crowd, the other players, and everything, and focus on you, the bowler. And the ball. Mm. That's a great analogy because if you play that back in business, you've got exactly the same run of information. You, attitude is always number one, um, without any shadow of a doubt. When you talk about learning from other people, you know I talk about you take nuggets of information. You have to be curious to watch and learn from other people, and you take the best bits and you bring it into your life in whatever shape or form that is. And then you talk about concentration. In business, we talk about laser focus, which essentially is a form of concentration that you focus on the outcomes you're trying to achieve. So that's, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Graham. It's, um, it's great to hear that stuff. I've got one quick question for you, which is something I've, I've listened to. You, you know, we've known each other for a few years now, and I've listened to you speak numerous times. And, and the bits I love the most is um, the funny stories. Now, we haven't got time for loads of them because I know you're, you're, you're good at running them one after the other. But... If you had to tell us your funniest story, what would be the funniest story you, you could recall? Well, if, if you're talking about um, on the field, um, I was brought up in the Essex side of the 70s, which was a successful team. But we had a lot of guys who played it hard on the field and, and sort of had a lot of fun off the field and, and you know, on, the, on the, the periphery of the game. You know, um, Ray East was, was the, the clown master, if you like, on the field. He was a very good cricketer and he didn't always get the credit for how good he was but because he used to get up to a lot of diff different things onto the, on the field and in the dressing room. And there's, um, well, my, fa my favourite cricket story about Ray and the, one of the funniest things I've seen. OK, so it was in the early 80s, batting helmets, you know, the coloured helmets, yep. came into the game about 1978. They were made in Australia. Uh, they were all different colours, blue, maroon, green. But they were, they were not issued to the team, OK, in those days. Everyone had their own helmets. They could be all different colours. And, of course, they're based on a riding hat. That's how they were based. You know, If you look at the design of the actual helmet part, not the visor, it's the same sort of style as a riding hat. And that's how they came about. So we played this game at Tunbridge Wells, lovely cricket ground, and um, Raymond was batting just before tea, and I, I think he had a, a, a green helmet anyway. So um, he hit the ball to mid-wicket, and, and, and he was given out, caught. 
but he thought it was what was called a bum ball. He thought he hit it into the ground and the ball went to mid-wicket. You know, a little um, uh, Yorkshire umpire called Jack Van Galoven gave him out. And it was about the ball before tea, OK? And Eastie was really upset. And all the way off to tea, he was on to Jack Van Galoven, the umpire, saying, that was a bum ball, Jack, wasn't it? That was a bum ball. And Jack Van Galoven kept saying, no, Eastie, it's not a bum ball. You're out. That's a good... You know, fair dismissal, you're out. That's the end of it. So he came into the dressing room. Now, Tunbridge Wells, an old wooden pavilion, quite a big one, nice one. The main part of the pavilion was upstairs. You went upstairs as you walked off where they served the teas and the lunches and all that. There was a bar and the dressing rooms were down in the basement. So he went down the stairs and there was a few of us in the dressing room. Eastie came in and he was complaining about this bumble being given out by Jack Van Galoven all the way through the 20 minutes of tea and as the bell went to go out, Eastie said, I'm not having this. I'm not having this. I'm going back out there. Right? <laughs> so I'm going. So he, he took David Eastie's helmet, which was a different colour, like maroon. OK, he had a visor. He put his his helmet on and he walked straight out after tea. <laughs> and he got to the wicket. And and he, and as he got to the wicket, he said to Jack Van Gloven, the umpire, he said, oh, Jack, you did say that was a bum ball, wasn't you? Because there was all hell let loose, you know. <laughs> The other, the other batsman who was meant to come in didn't know what to do. He was, I can't remember who that was, Neil Smith. He was waiting down by the boundaries edge and there was all hell on. I mean, you just couldn't imagine it happening now. No, no, no. Well, That's well, one of my favourite stories. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that one. Yeah, brilliant. But the, the other thing I'd like to say to you, because when I said about opening the batting, I, I wanted to overlay that with, when I went on the Australian tour that winter, it didn't go great for me. And... Um, Technology helped change my game as well because I didn't play that well. And then Brenda, my then wife, her aunt, had bought one of these newfangled video recording machines. Okay, this is before Betamax. This is a Philips <laughs> video recorder. All right. Philips, massive tapes they were, yeah. huge tapes. And because as a cricketer, you didn't really get to see yourself on TV at all because when they showed it live, you were obviously playing. There was no very little recorded highlights. And when I came back from Australia, she showed me these videos and I basically didn't like the way I was playing. And I changed my game to holding the bat up high, like you might have seen on, yeah. the, on the TV, yeah. on the back of watching these videos from this, the, the, when they first released these videos about 1978. So uh, that's quite a pivotal part in my success in my career and changing the game well yeah i mean because and people always ask me why did you stand up and i tell them that story which is true and and i said well look you need to get your head straight it's a technical thing you need to get your head straight your eyes level so you can judge the ball better you don't want your head on the angle okay and i couldn't get comfortable in a conventional stance like 95 percent players stand so the only way i could get comfortable was to stand up taller with my bat off the ground. It's quite simple. And right. it made an instant yeah, yeah. difference to my play. Yeah, wow. And, and that was the come to Jesus moment when you saw the videos being replayed back to you, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, that was the first step in evolving my career, as I've said. And I'd like to think that as I gained more experience, more knowledge, I got better at evolving my game and the success that came with it after that. Yeah, that's no, brilliant. That's brilliant, Graham. Okay, so we're going to wrap up now, um, and I guess 
This is a really important question for me. Um, if I had to say to you, what are you most grateful for? What, what do you think you would you would say in terms of your life, your career, or altogether? What What would you say you're most grateful for? Um, well, I'm 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 just grateful that um, I kept I've kept my health up until now. I feel very honoured and privileged to be able to play sport for a living and make a reasonable success of it. I'm grateful for the opportunity from Essex Cricket, who gave me that opportunity in the first place. I'm grateful to all the people who assisted me throughout my career, which would go from the who, my dad first, who taught me how to play the game, a guy called Bill Morris at the Ilford Cricket School, who um, um, was my first proper coach, and then through my careers to my captains, Keith Fletcher, Mike Brearley, and, and then Mickey Stewart when I when I was captain of England, uh, I'm very grateful to these guys for their their help that they gave me. And I suppose the one thing when people ask me, you know, what's the proudest moment in career? Well, there's there's two things really. I think when you're asked to lead your country, uh, no honour that's bestowed on you can top that sort of feeling of responsibility imagine, and yeah. honour. It's nothing to do with personal performance. They, they they don't even come close, you know, and I had a lot of bad ones and I had a lot of good ones, like a lot of performers. But the honour of being asked to, to lead, lead your country. And the other thing is quite a simple thing. I'm grateful for all the support I got from everyone who watched me play. And my only desire was for them to say, you know, I enjoyed watching you play. Mm, which is which is fulfilling in itself, I guess. Well, that's brilliant, Graham. Thank you very much. And of course, w what everybody does know, especially those that know you, is you know not only have you had a great career, and not only have you brought an awful lot of enjoyment to people over the years, but to see your incredible resilience um, and gusto in continuing to support the game long, long after your retirement is 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 just unbelievable. And, and I think people are recognising that every minute of every day, and certainly I do um, from the times I've met you. But in the meantime, listen, thanks, Graham, for sharing your incredible story. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have your company on my podcast, Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors. I look forward to seeing you again soon, um, especially as we meet quite frequently at the Cloud FM County Ground. And, uh, and, it's, and it's great seeing you every time. And, uh, and Graham, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very, very much. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed speaking to you and giving you just a few little uh, insights into what you know I was lucky enough to enjoy. And I'll, I'll finish by saying one thing. My favourite saying is, success in life is an inside job. <laughs> well done. Fantastic. Cheers, Graham. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>